Welcome to Troubleshooting Agile, a regular problem-solving session for Agile teams. Howdy, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So we're on to the last of the Agile Principles, Principle 12. At regular intervals, the team reflects on how to become more effective, then tunes and adjusts its behavior accordingly. This sounds very familiar. <laughs> well, I think we've talked quite a bit throughout all the Agile principles on the focus on learning. Uh, we, we, we mentioned learning probably more than any other word throughout this. We've talked about why do we ship early? Because we want to learn. Why do we do continuous delivery? We want to learn. We, we're very interested that we're doing things that are valuable. And the way we know that is to get that out there early and get feedback. So a lot of the focus we've had is on on learning. And uh, now here we come to reflection, which I think is going to be our, our mechanism for actually getting that learning. And, and interestingly, what it doesn't say is the word retrospective. When modern agile proponents read this, it they often think, oh, well, this is my weekly retrospective. This is when the team gathers to put up post-it notes and solve problems. It, it doesn't actually say that. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, it's good to separate the principle from the implementation. So certainly retrospectives are a way that people reflect, but it's not the only way that they can reflect. And the uh, value of reflection is that it takes you out of production for a little while, so you're not a hundred percent producing. Yeah, we we talk about that a lot at Tim. Is that you know sort of it, we look at it as a conservation of energy type principle, which is if we put a hundred percent of our energy into producing, well then we're not learning. So we need to be striking a balance between uh, 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 P versus PC or uh, produ production versus production capacity. And I think that's a, 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 a phrase that comes from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, Stephen Covey talks about sharpen the saw as uh, you need to be increasing and minding your production capacity. One element of that is, is, is learning. And it doesn't mean that there can't be periods during which you're purely producing. That would, might be a valuable choice at certain times. Oh yeah, that's that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, that's a trade-off you can make. You can say where where on this uh, um, spectrum do we want to be? How much effort should we put into producing versus learning? Uh, I think that's a really good point. Sometimes you'll just say, look, for the next week, two weeks, whatever, flat out, we just care about getting this done, hitting this deadline because that's the circumstances we're in. On the other hand, if you find yourself in that kind of mode for six months or a year or two years, you've probably done something wrong. And and worse than doing something wrong, you're doing something that's inefficient because you, you could have been doing a lot better by now if you had been taking time for small improvements along the way. Yeah, and they don't have to... And they don't have to be very large improvements at all. So the principle of marginal gains, which I know from Alan Weiss, you have a, a better example, is um, uh, the, the notion that if you improve one percent a day, then in seventy days you're hundred percent better. Yeah, which which is which is I, I love that uh, idea of just um, very small uh, improvements uh, compound in a way that's uh, unintuitive. Yeah, the, the example I know it from is um, uh, from uh, Dave uh, Brailsford who was the uh, coach of the British cycling team in the 2012 Olympics. Um, and, and I think he, more than anyone else, I thought uh, brought the idea of marginal gains into the public eye, as, as far as it's made it into the public eye, because they were relentless about looking for every marginal gain, every small change that they could make uh, that would compound into a dramatic overall difference. So they looked for every possible thing. What's the material of the 
uh, 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 tires they use? What's the what could they do for seats? Um, not not just that, but things like pillows. What's the best pillow for people to use to get a slightly better night's sleep? And and one percent improvement. None of these things sound sexy by themselves, but in aggregate. The results are dramatic. They won seventy percent of the gold medal, uh, medals that were available in those games in cycling, which is just phenomenal. And it was the result of of, of all of this uh, small incremental improvement uh, continually. Great. So it sounds like this is going to be a short podcast because all we're going to need to do is look up new techniques and apply them. And you don't need very many. You could just look up like one a day. And I'm sure that would give you something like 1% improvement. So um, that's the uh, information on principle number 12. Thanks for <laughs> listening to Troubleshooting Agile, Jeffrey. We'll see you next week. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> probably not so not so fast. Uh, people pr probably realize that's going to be a slight catch because that's that's not how things work out in practice for some reason, which is strange. There's, to me, there's this sort of weird dilemma because on the one hand, there, there are lots of techniques. There's lots of information out there about how to be better. So what you describe actually seems like it should work. Like what, why can't we just look up a new technique every day and try it out and be 1% better? But that, that's just not what happens in practice. And, and, and I think it's something about the techniques aren't enough. And, and I've, I've experienced this firsthand and I'm, um, it's sort of one of the shameful moments for me in my time at Tim was when I, was very excited about use cases and I and I drove people to adopt them and it was kind of the the worst kind of guru cargo cult type adoption that I've uh, personally been part of uh, where people um, had a miserable time uh, uh, at trying to apply use cases and it wasn't for lack of trying I mean people made a good faith effort and I tried to and, and not for lack of information either there are tons of books Alistair Coburn's written one there are videos uh, pit uh, Google for use cases, you get millions of results. Oh, so that's right. It's not that they lacked information about how to use them or why you might. That's right. And I, and I had used them successfully before. So, and, and they had access to me, uh, uh, and, I, and I've helped other people use them successfully. And yet, uh, it, it didn't work at just because we ended up being adopted in sort of a cargo cult fashion with a lack of reflection. And it really violated the principle we talked about, uh, the last time when we talked about, uh, principle number 11, which talked about the value of self-organizing teams. And this really violated it. This was a, a case where people hadn't uh, consolidated on a problem that they were all motivated to adopt. Um, and without that motivation, the learning wasn't happening. And um, I think that's the key question for me about learning comes down to this, this one of motivation. Where does the motivation come from to learn? Because in practice, learning is is horrible. Learning learning is a terrible process because it means being wrong and it means uh, uh, learning uh, how to do things over and over again. You, you, you get uh, brought face to face with your inadequacy. And if, if that's not happening to you, you're probably not learning. You're probably just reading. Uh, so, And what's worse is you have to admit that to other people. Oh, you have to absolutely. say what we've been doing isn't working. That, that, that's right. And I think when, you, when you've when gone out and you've read these books and you've if you've read the blogs and you watch the video and then you go try and it doesn't work for you, it's quite natural to think, well, either what's wrong with us <laughs> or or easily you just say, oh, this, this stuff is crap. It doesn't actually work. Mm -hmm. And it's much easier to, to, to say, well, it, it must not be us. It's uh, It must be just our situation and it's not changeable because it requires that huge amount of energy to climb the hill of learning. 
That, that, that's right. So where does the motivation come from to overcome the, the barriers for learning? I think most often they come, it comes from nowhere. And so there's no change and no improvement. But I think you you are often in a little bit different circumstances, right? Because you're 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 brought in by clients who where there is some clear motivation to change. Where where does that come from? Usually, they've tried lots of things and they haven't worked, and so they're really stuck, and they have to be pretty strongly motivated because I'm expensive, and so they have to have a certain amount of success first of all to afford me, and also to feel that they would like to improve, and that success came from somewhere. And they're trying the same techniques that worked when everyone would fit in a phone booth. And suddenly at my stage, usually that's when you're getting to 10, 20, 30 people. You can't have informal communication, for example, and the relationships are much more complicated. And suddenly there's a a much more uh, difficult uh, product environment and so on. So they have new problems and they need to adapt, which is one of the main things that I think this principle helps teams adjust to. Um, If we were all in a static situation, we could just learn as much as we could and be good and then be done. But unfortunately, the world changes. But what I mean, we're just talking about self-organization and the the, the lack of it, lack of motivation. Sure, the 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 founders who bring you in, or they they might be motivated. But what about the people sort of rank and file that you you need? Do you you just come in as the prophet and they listen and follow the, the commandments and then everything's fine? Well, uh, if only that were true, it would be great. And often they'll see problems, but they haven't been able to summon the energy to solve those problems themselves. And they don't have the experience. So I often say, I'm cheating because I'm coming along with lots of experience and I'm the expensive outside person. So people tend to listen to me. But that only applies, that only works in the short term. So the nice thing that's starting to happen is I'm starting to be able to go back to clients I worked with three years ago and see what's lasted and what hasn't. And certainly I won't claim 100% success rate, but there are cases where some of the techniques that we have picked up that I have brought to the team are working in the long term. And some, of course, the more tactical ones no longer apply. The company's in a different situation. So uh, the particular uh, tactic for uh, project management or for tracking work no longer makes any sense when the larger situation, but the underlying principles and the underlying techniques I've been bringing to the team have applied. And I, w- I want to bring up some point here, but we talked uh, previously about dog fooding. We, we try to apply these principles ourselves. And um, you have spent a lot of time uh, reflecting and adapting what you do. And I know that you've had a huge improvement, uh, acceleration in what you do with your clients. Can you talk about that and how you got there? Sure. So I went from what I would normally do at my beginning of my consulting three years ago, which was uh, two, three days a week, really functioning as an interim CTO and uh, leading the team for up to a year with some of those initial clients, where now I'm half a day, a day a week, generally on average, it, it varies, but something like that for three months, and I'm achieving many of the same changes. That's, just, that's remarkable. So <laughs> how, how did you do that? Well, uh, it certainly isn't by talking faster or always applying exactly the right technique. I don't have a recipe for how to achieve success. I don't have something like that. But what I do tend to do is to focus very tightly on what's actually blocking the natural learning that the company would like to have. The the good thing that's usually true uh, in my circumstances is that the company's had some success. There's something that has been working and there's some way that the company has avoided failure to this stage. So there's, there's kind of a damn up 
energy within the team and the company that, that, that used to work, but something is blocking it. And typically the thing that's blocking it is poor relationships. There's some kind of uh, relation that isn't working. There's somebody who doesn't trust somebody else. There's a team that kind of forgot to interact with others in the organization, or it used to be very informal and now it needs to be somewhat more formal and they haven't made the transition, something like that. And when I can unblock that, it often has very high leverage. It is like breaking a dam. So I'll, I'll get the, uh, I know at a recent client, I had the product and dev teams at war, just uh, not friends, thinking they didn't want to help each other, blaming each other for problems and so on. I got them to come to each other's standups, and that really unlocked a, a lot of change very quickly. It wasn't as simple as that. There was more to it, but that was one of the visible changes that resulted in a very short time and with very little effort uh, in having a, a significant impact that then allowed the teams to, to get, gather positive momentum. So instead of blaming each other, they were able to work together, see success, and then build more trust, which then led to more success, which led to more trust and so on. So when you can get to that, that will help you get over that hill of uh, the difficulty of summoning the energy to change and to improve and to learn. And I, I, I think that's a great story, and it really uh, goes to the heart of what you and I uh, have talked about a lot together in the past, and that we'll be talking a lot about more in this uh, podcast going forward, is this um, group losing the ability to learn and kind of just going through the motions and being stuck because they just can't have productive conversations. And and then you, that that relationship problems when you focus on the consulting. Uh, uh, I have the meetup on the London Organizational Learning Meetup where we talk about conversational techniques and where we really try to give people the tools about how they can repair relationships and listen better and have better conversations to get the outcome that they'd hope to from all these agile principles, like these these agile conversations that you need to implement the agile principles. But very often. There's resistance for people because they say, well, you know, that, that all sounds good, but that won't work, you know, where, where I am. It's, it's more comfortable to blame the circumstances than to communicate differently. The advantage I have as a consultant is I come in and I'm saying that, hey, you're paying me, so we're going to do something about it. That's a shortcut. There are other shortcuts. It's not the only one, but it's it, it and the other shortcuts are ways of focusing you on solving the problem, on stopping blaming the circumstances and having difficult conversations. That's right. And, uh, and I think then we kind of come up with a, a challenge to our listeners a, a bit, which is to say, look at your circumstances right now. Uh, look at what you think the, the problems are. Reflect a bit on that and then say, what's currently preventing you from taking action on that problem? Uh, and you means you individually, <laughs> not you, your team. Because it'd be easy for you to say, oh, my boss is an idiot. That, that's not a, the answer to this question because the question is you singular. That, that's right. Because even if I accept the fact that your boss is an idiot, fine, still. Are you saying that there's nothing out there in the world? You have Google available to you and you can't find anything productive to do with a, a boss that you don't respect? I, 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 I challenge people to say like there are uh, uh, opportunities available to you should you choose to take them. And uh, if you if you agree or disagree with us, uh, let us know on Twitter. Let us know in our uh, uh, reviews. We love to give comments and, and questions. And I would love to take on some of these cases from people where they say, you know, this all sounds great in practice, but you know, how do we? How do you solve it in this scenario? 
Indeed. Troubleshootingagile.com has all the contact information, so feel free to uh, get in touch with us there. And I predict that we'll have lots of discussion on learning conversations, agile conversations in the next episodes. Yeah, absolutely. And part of that, we, we know that because if nothing else, you and I are going to be at KitCon next weekend. That's C-I-T-C-O-N. It's a used to be the continuous integration and testing conference, but I think it doesn't stand for that anymore. Is that right, Jeffrey? <laughs> well, that's right. It's a, it's a bit broader than that. Although we still have quite a bit of uh, uh, continuous integration testing discussions there. It's a really uh, I find a very uh, fun conference because we get a great cross section of people. We have um, uh, it's sort of I sometimes describe it as the DevOps conference before there was DevOps. We get sysadmins, mm. we get developers, we get QA people, we get managers, uh, product people. We get a whole cross section of of software people that I think is 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 pretty rare. And it's certainly, I use it as an opportunity to reflect myself. So it's my uh, application of principle 12, among others, but it's a way for me to reflect on how to become more effective and adjust my behavior. Yeah. And, and it's an open space conference. And so it's one of the ones where I, uh, we get to practice these kind of things. And I always use it as a way to kind of uh, uh, bring up these kind of topics. One I often ask people is to say, just the, the challenge we put out to our listeners. You know, if you're frustrated, it's probably your fault. Uh, uh, tell me about your circumstances. We'll see if we can come up with some strategies you might use. And uh, and so far, after having put that challenge out to people for several years now, I got to say that uh, I think in every case, uh, people have had options that they were available to them that they hadn't yet considered. So I feel very, um, so far, very validated that uh, people have, have assumed the limits uh, that aren't there in, in the world. And uh, I'm hoping that when we're at KitCon, I'll be able to uh, bring that up and, and, and harvest some and, and bring them back to this podcast. Indeed. Yeah, we're bringing our microphones. So we're going to be doing some interviews and maybe record one or more of those group sessions. So might be slightly different format the next couple times as we pull out the data and the, the recordings from KitCon and share those. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to those conversations and uh, more with you in future episodes, Squirrel. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Squirrel.